in the year 1904, uh, Reverend Seth Joshua over in the country of Wales was deeply burdened about his own life and his lack of passion and his lack of power in ministry and began to ask God to do something in his life and through him. And uh, he read the book by Dr. Andrew Murray with Christ in the School of Prayer and it changed his life. He began to really be burdened about the young people in his church and that God would do something, was praying for them and called a meeting together of them. And he began to just challenge them about their need for God to do something in their lives. They began to meet on a regular basis, and one Sunday morning in a morning prayer meeting before the services, they, uh, the, the pastor, Pastor Joshua, asked for testimonies of spiritual experience, is what he called it, uh, from the young people. And several tried to share something on some other topic, and he stopped them. He said, no, that's not what we're talking about. And then one young girl, 16 years old, Flory Evans was her name, stood to her feet. And she said, I love Jesus with all of my heart. In that moment, a fire was ignited in the land of Wales. And that would literally result in the salvation of hundreds of thousands of people. She had only been saved a few days when she made that statement, by the way. And we hear a song like we just heard, which I love that song and I'm blessed every time I hear it, but could not help but think of that story, especially in light of what we're going to look at today, is I'm actually going to use much from the Welsh revival as a way of illustration today. Do you really love Jesus with all of your heart? Is your heart stirred? by that blessed name, the name of Jesus. If it is to be asked why the fire of God fell on Wales in 1904, the answer is simple. Fire falls where it is likely to catch and spread. As one has said, Wales provided the necessary tinder. Here were thousands of believers unknown to each other in small towns and villages and great cities, crying to God day after day for the fire of God to fall. This was not merely a little talk with Jesus, but daily agonizing intercession. They had also placed the wood upon the altar and had fully surrendered to the claims of their Redeemer. They had a holy jealousy for the name of their God and wept sorely because of the fact that Satan was being glorified all around them. They constantly reminded God of what he had done in the past, In 1859, there in the land of Wales, O Lord, thou art the same, they cried, and thou canst do it again, even in this industrious, luxurious age. And God did. There came an outpouring of the Spirit in like magnitude to the day of Pentecost, and only a little over 100 years ago. An awakening that literally changed a nation, all because believers began to thirst for something more. Take your Bible and look for just, this isn't our text for this morning, but turn to Acts chapter number 2.
Verse number 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. We know this verse, don't we? Um, If you've taken my Bible doctrines class, you know this verse, right? Um, This is familiar to us. So familiar that I think we just gloss over it. Can you just stop and think about that for a moment? And the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. What was that like? What would that be like? To see that kind of, of a move of God. How did go from being so antagonistic towards them to being so broken that they were crying out, what must I do to be saved? Can something like still happen today? Or is it just some phenomenon because of a dispensational change, transition taking place? And friends, I want to I want to propose to you, it, it's not some strange phenomenon because of some dispensational transition. It's what happens when the Spirit of God is outpoured. Turn now to Isaiah 44. The outpouring of the Spirit. I I have been, for last month probably, really, the Lord's been reigniting in my heart a, a deep burden and passion on this subject. And I picked up, because of that, this book to read again, which I've read many times before, and and I'm going to be referencing this book heavily throughout, and so give credit where credit is due. Um, many quotes here directly from James Stewart's historical account of what took place there uh, on the island of Wales. And God has used this book on multiple times whenever I come back to it to reignite a thirst in my heart. Oh, Lord God, would you do this again? Would you do it again? Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 1. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. And my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass. As willows by the watercourses. One shall say, I am the Lord's. And another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord. And surname himself by the name of Israel. Today I want to look really at verse number three. For I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Israel here is in exile far from home. They're they're obviously in distress in this situation, and the Lord comes to them and tells them, don't be afraid. Fear not. You still have a special place in my plan. You still have a special place in my heart, and I'm going to take you from this horrible situation that seems lifeless, And dead, and I'm going to make something 
beautiful out of it by my spirit. And I recognize that this, this is a promise here to Israel. What we just read, it's a promise given directly to the nation, to the people of Israel. It's not given to America. It's not given to the church. But I think here we find some incredibly helpful insight to how God works when he pours out his spirit. Which is what we have described there in Acts chapter 2 of what takes place. The outpouring of the spirit. What is the outpouring of the spirit? We find it spoken about in Joel chapter 2. It's experienced in Acts chapter 2 and the fruit of that far beyond that throughout history. We've had many times when we've seen that which people have called the outpouring of the Spirit. What are we talking about? We're not just talking about coming to a place where we understand revival truth, though that's very important. But young people never confuse understanding revival truth with revival because it's not the same. Revival truth is incredibly important for us to know and for us to be able to continue in revival. But revival is when Jesus reaches down and touches your life. So realize you can understand revival truth and not be living in revival. But what here is the outpouring of the Spirit, this this great revival, perhaps we would use that term. We're talking here about when God saturates a community or a nation with his manifest presence, bringing believers to usefulness and multitudes of lost souls to the Savior. We're talking about when God charges the atmosphere with the conviction of his spirit and the joy of his love that awakens the multitudes to the power of Calvary. We need this kind of outpouring. Young people, we need the outpouring of the spirit of God, so it's time for us to get thirsty. It's time for us to get thirsty. Thirsty. I want you to notice here first in our text the opportunity for the outpouring. The opportunity. It says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Notice first of all the desperate need. The desperate need is the opportunity. There's dry ground, dead ground, lifeless ground, fruitless ground, worthless ground. Emptiness, barrenness. Does that describe our world today? I don't think I have to tell you that we live in a world, in a country, in a community that is in desperate need of God to do something. Right? We look around every day. We, every, every day, if you look at the news, it is riddled with the fact we need God to move. In this community, uh, sometimes some of you are ministering in bus ministry and you're in Milwaukee. And I don't, maybe you've had this thought as I have had at times in, as, as I, you go into Milwaukee and you see the incredible need, the broken homes, the, riddled with crime, the ad, incredible addiction to drugs, the absolute moral debauchery taking place, the incredible wickedness that's all around and, and you can even think, is it even possible for a place like this to be reached and turned around? I mean, how is that going to happen? How is it 
that we can really make a difference. I mean, we're trying to reach into these homes, but it's, it's, we're only touching so few. How can we really see what needs to be done here? We could talk about our churches. And, and maybe churches that would hold to, to perhaps good doctrine, but so many there's not a lot of life. It's pretty hollow and dry. And you maybe you look and say, what, what's people are, there's some people here, but what's, what's God doing? Where's a new person that hasn't been here for 20 years? And yet we go on and think, well, I think we're, we're okay. When really we are like the church described in Revelation chapter 3, who says, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou, art, that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Oh, listen to me, folks. We have an opportunity to see the outpouring of the Spirit because there is a desperate need for an outpouring. It was the same in, on the island of Wales. The churches in Wales were lifeless and fruitless, filled with lost people. It was in a bad state. And uh, James Stewart describes it this way. He says, yes, it was a dark day. Everywhere, the bar rooms flourished. Football, cockfighting, prizefighting, pigeon flying, and betting and gambling reigned supreme, especially among the working classes. Now, maybe that's not the kind of entertainment that attracts us as Americans, but that was entertainment. They were living to be entertained. Does that describe America? Absolutely. We are consumed as a people with entertainment, even in our churches. In fact, even us here in this room are probably more consumed with entertainment. Though maybe I can't watch this and do this and do... But we still, we live for that entertainment. That's what they were living for. And this was, there was some violent entertainment going on there as well. And, of course, violence is pervasive in our nation as well. I just want us to see, I, I don't really need to spend a lot of time describing the fact that, that, that there's a need, that we are dry ground all around us. We know that. I just want us to realize that the fact that there is a great need means there is a great opportunity. And we can sometimes look at it and get discouraged and say, oh, this is so hard. This is, oh, man, how is this ever going to happen? And we realize this is the moment of opportunity. God loves to take dry places and turn them into a fruitful field. He loves to take barren places and bring forth life. It's who he is because he is the God of deliverance. So the opportunity for the outpouring is there because it is a desperate need, but also because it is a sure promise we have this opportunity. It's a sure promise. Notice he says, for I will. I will pour water. I will pour my spirit. Friends, there's no uncertainty in God. There's no question about whether God will do what he said he would do. I can remember when missionary Tom Johnson at one point was here, and I believe it was on this very passage. And I can't remember if it was in a prayer meeting and he was praying or in a message and he was speaking. But I remember very clearly him looking at this verse 
and saying, listen, he didn't say I might. He didn't say I can. He didn't say I should. He said, I will. I will. I will. It's a promise. And God always keeps his promise. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen to me, young people. Those who seek God are never disappointed. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And you will never seek after him and wish you hadn't. You will never waste your time earnestly seeking after God. Never. Because he is certain. And he will always keep his promises. Listen, friend, we can can read what it says in the book of Acts. And we can read what it says about what happened 100 years ago. And, but we still have this nagging thought in our, well, I don't, but what, today? I don't, I don't know. We're, there's too much technology today for God to pour out his spirit. There's the drug thing. They, they didn't have that back then like we have that now. That's a little bit, that's another step that's a little bit too much for. Friends, do not sell our God short on what he can do today. It is rank, stinking unbelief. For us to not take God at his word when he says, I will. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Don't sell our God short. What an opportunity. An opportunity for the outpouring of the spirit of God. But what is the prerequisite? And this is really what my my main burden is for today. The prerequisite for the outpouring. I will pour water upon him that is Thirsty. Thirst. Thirst. Thirsting after God is living with a heart that's crying out, God, I need you more than anything else. More than anything else in life, I want you. It doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what it means in my life. I've got to know what it means for you to be real in my life. It's having a heart that says, God, I want to see you break through in our church, in our community, in a powerful way, and I'm going to seek you with all of my heart until you do it. Now listen, many of you have heard Dr. Jim say this, thirst doesn't earn us anything. You don't go up to the the counter at the restaurant and say, uh, give, me, uh, give me a large Coke. And they say, it costs, oh, I'm thirsty. It doesn't cost me anything. I'm thirsty. It doesn't earn us anything. But thirst, thirst is where we are when we realize what we actually need. 
It's what push, puts us in a position where we're, we're actually wanting what we really need. What, is, what does it mean to be thirsty? What does it look like? Well, I think thirst is desperate prayer. Thirst is desperate. Prayer from the hearts of people who, who are crying out, Lord, I can't go on this way. Lord, something has to change. Lord, I can't, I can't go on here any longer. We must have an answer from heaven. God, you've got to do something. Do you pray that way? Or is your prayer life, Lord, it would be nice to see this. Uh, Lord, Lord, if you feel like it, this would be good. Or do you pray desperately? A thirsty heart comes out in desperate prayer. But I'm afraid that we as American believers really don't know how to really be desperate. We don't know how to stop everything and pursue after God. I mean, we're, we're just go, 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 go all the time. This is, I, I find this in my own life. I feel like I'm so distracted by so many things. Oh, man, I'm telling you, this thing right here really makes it hard for us to pursue after God. I mean, we might even see, you set aside time to fast and pray, and you know what still keeps happening? Right? When are we going to get desperate enough for God that we're going to say nothing else matters? Nothing else matters. God, you're all I need. And in our go, 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 we've got to learn how to stop everything to seek God. want to because we like other things they make us comfortable and happy and warm and fuzzy and all those things you know right thirst thirst comes out in desperate prayer see we want the benefits of fervent prayer but without the exercise of fervent prayer at the end of his life uh, towards the end of his life, there were seminary students who went to Leonard Ravenhill, uh, who was a great revival preacher, and they, they asked him, could you, Mr. Ravenhill, could you pass on your mantle to me? They, they wanted his mantle of blessing, you know, as Elijah passed his on to Elisha. And his response to their request was this. He said, everyone wants my mantle, but nobody wants my sackcloth and ashes. Luke chapter 6, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Jeremiah 29 Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all 
all, all of your heart. All of your heart. James Stewart said, Every outpouring of the Spirit is preceded by earnest, agonizing intercession, accompanied by a heartbrokenness and humiliation before God. This is followed by a recognition and honoring of the blessed Spirit of God. Pastors and flock alike in their churches are deeply concerned about the terrible discrepancy between the heart-stirring record in the book of Acts and the present-day condition of the church. So it was in the little principality of Wales before the month of November 1904. Deep spiritual awakenings, whether in local churches or in whole countries, begin with desperate people. God only answers the prayers of desperate Christians. Christians who are tired and weary of cold, mechanical services before God. Christians who are heartbroken over the deadness of the professing church and over sinners going to an endless hell. Christians who are desperate about their own spiritual condition. While it is true that when the awakening does come, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory, this is not the case of the preparatory days. Then there is no song, but rather groans. There is no laughter, but only tears. There on the island of Wales, as many as 40,000 desperate believers, unknown to each other in the majority of cases, in various parts of the land, had been waiting on the Lord, and were now about to see even a greater demonstration of the mighty power of God. Evan Roberts, of course, was one of the key figures that God used in the Welsh revival. A young man, by the way, only 26 years of age. And for a long time, it says here, God had been dealing with Evan Roberts in a most remarkable William Davies, a deacon at the Moriah Chapel, which young Evan attended, warned him not to miss the prayer meetings in case the Holy Spirit would come and he would be missing. Thus it was that on Monday evenings, he would attend the prayer meeting at Moriah. Tuesday at Pisgah. Wednesday back at Moriah. And Thursday and Friday at other Bible. Notice this. He had prayed for 13 years for a mighty visitation of the Holy Spirit. If you do the math, he was 13 years old when he began to earnestly intercede for God to pour out his Spirit in his land. 13 Are you willing and ready to agonize in prayer for an outpouring of the Spirit until it comes? Most of us probably would have given up long before 13 years. How old were you 13 years ago? Just trying to put that in time. And obviously there's nothing magic about the number 13, okay? That, that's what it was in his case. There's other accounts. It was longer than that, that people pled and interceded for revival, for an outpouring of the Spirit. It doesn't have to be that long. But are you willing to intercede until it comes? Desperate praying. praying. Oh, listen, we want the quick fix that will make ministry easy, right? But that isn't thirst. Thirst is desperate praying. Thirst is also 
Absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. When you're thirsty, it's I will do anything it takes to get water. I'll do anything it takes to have this need in my life met. And the more thirsty you get, the more willing you are to do anything to have that thirst quenched. Now, we understand that in the illustration in the physical realm, right? But it is true in the spiritual realm as well. We call this absolute surrender, a willingness to do anything the Spirit tells you to do, an obedience in everything that the Spirit of God tells you to do, as Pastor Ingram says. On September 29th of 1904, Evan Roberts and 19 other young people attended an early meeting beginning at 7 a.m. That was the starting point. They had to travel before that. By the time they arrived there, they had been singing and sharing testimonies along the way. Evan was deeply moved, and he broke down as the preacher concluded the meeting in prayer with these words. Bend us, O Lord. Bend us. Evan heard nothing more of the prayer from that moment on as the Spirit of God whispered to him, that is what you need. And so Evan, in his heart, cried out, bend me, O Lord. Bend me. But even then, at that moment, the fire had not yet fallen. He later said it was not Mr. Joshua who emphasized the words, O Lord, bend me, but the Spirit of God himself. They met again at 9 o'clock. So they took a break and then came back. It says, and the spirit of intercession was powerful. Evan was just bursting to pray. Then the Spirit of God told him to do so publicly. And here is how he described what took place in that moment, a crisis in his life that led shortly to the salvation of 100,000 souls. He says, I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me, and the tears flowed freely. I cried, bend me, bend me, bend me. Bend us. What bent me, he says in that moment, was God commending his love and my not seeing anything in me to commend. When I was in this feeling, the audience sang heartily, I am coming, coming, Lord, to thee. And now a great burden came upon me for the salvation of lost souls. By the way, this is the same Evan Roberts who had been praying earnestly already for years. This this was an Evan Roberts who was already personally meeting with God. But here he still recognized in his heart there is something in my life where I am not being bent to his will. There is something that is still resisting. Still trying to hold taut and say, no, I'm not going that way. I'm saying, Lord, I am willing to be bent. To be, to be misshapen in my perspective to come to the shape you want me to be in. Bend us. Absolute surrender. That's, that's thirst. Thirst saying, Lord, I am willing for anything in my life. Thirst is also broken honesty. Broken honesty. Confession of sin. Lord, I don't want anything to stand in the way of having this need satisfied. Lord, I don't want to hold on to anything 
that will grieve your spirit and hinder your coming and making yourself known among us. Isaiah chapter 57, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. No revival is of sudden origin. James Stewart again. When the revival manifests itself in a mighty way, it comes suddenly. But even so, its origins begin with the Holy Spirit of God moving effectively in individual lives in private. Let no one pray for revival. Let no one pray for a mighty baptism of power who is not prepared for deep heart searchings and confession of sin in his personal life. Revival in its beginnings is a most humiliating experience. A message preached often by Evan Roberts to those desiring the outpouring of the Spirit included four key points, but two of those, the first two were this. Is there any sin in your past that you have not confessed to God? On your knees at once, he would say, your past must be put away and yourself cleansed. Number two, is there anything in your life that is doubtful? Anything you cannot decide whether it is good or evil? Away with it. There must not be a cloud between you and God. Have you forgiven everybody? 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 If not, don't expect forgiveness for your own sins. You won't get it. I don't have time to share the story here this morning, but it was those four points of this book, actually, that the Lord used as a catalyst for revival in my wife's life. To take her from a place of saying, no, God, I'm not going to uncover the sin that I've been holding on to. I'm not going to deal with my my anger against God for taking the life of someone I loved. I'm not going to deal with that. She came to this point of these four tenets in the book, and she could not, literally could not read any further. She could not make sense of the words. And she got so frustrated to the point that she literally took and she threw the the, the book on the ground and said, God, if you don't want me to read it, I won't. And in the couple of weeks following after that, God broke her, bringing these words again and again to her mind. And then, then she was able to read the rest of the book, and God used it in a, an incredible way in her life. Not something magical here. God was trying to get her attention. Listen, young people, it could be small. Anything. It could be just a doubtful thing. Don't let anything stand in the way. Don't let anything cloud your relationship with God. I hasten. Thirst is a single focus. Thirst is single focus. Listen, young people, we don't thirst after God because we want something from Him. We don't thirst after God because we need power. We thirst after God because we need Him. We need Him. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need You. This community needs You. 
Listen, there's no amount of human machinery that's going to change this situation. There's no amount of political action that can turn this country around. There is no amount of human persuasion that can change the heart of these perverted, hardened men. Jesus, you only can meet the need. And so, Jesus, we are coming to you for you to do something because we want you Only by the power of your Holy Spirit can you break through the strongholds of darkness that are holding our churches and our communities so tightly in its grip. Friends, we must have Jesus. And that's not a good theological statement. This world must know that Jesus is here. Shame on us that any believer could say, Who is the Lord? God? What are you talking about? Friends, we need our community to be, to be awakened to the reality that God is here and they can no longer ignore him and his claims upon their lives. <coughs> James Stewart said this of the Revi- Welsh Revival, another characteristic of true revival is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the center of attraction. It was noised that he was in the house. And friends, when we have Jesus as our focus, the focus of his heart, the lost souls of men, becomes the passion of our lives. Oh, friends, thirst. Thirst. Are you thirsty? Because, friends, when we're thirsty, he says, I will. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. And then floods upon the dry ground. Notice number three, the fruit of the outpouring. We need to finish. Life. Life. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. Life for the next generation. It was plainly evident now to everybody that God had answered the agonizing prayers of his people and had sent a mighty spiritual upheaval. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere. His presence was felt in the homes, on the streets, in the mines, factories and schools, and even in the drinking saloons. So great was his presence felt that even the places of amusement and carousal became places of holy awe. Many were the instances of men entering taverns, ordering drinks, and then turning on their heels and leaving them untouched. Beneath the ground, miners gathered for worship and Bible study before they dispersed to the various sections of mines. Even the children in the schools came under the spell of God. A story is told of a child of four in a preschool class who held up his hand to call the teacher's attention. Well, inquired the teacher, what is it? Swift in telling came the words, please, teacher, do you love Jesus? The arrow reached its mark. There and then, that teacher came to the Lord, and she later went out to become a missionary to India. It was a revival for young people. Evan Roberts himself was only 26 years of age. Many of the others who assisted were 20, 19, 16. Thousands of young people, when they became converted, went everywhere testifying. Little children had their own prayer and praise meetings. The chapels were crowded out with the young, young people. 
Someone overheard one child ask another, do you know what has happened at Rose? That was the name of their, their town. Do you know what has happened? No, I don't, except that Sunday comes every day now. Don't you know? No, I don't. Why? Jesus has come to live in Rose. Life. Life for the next generation. Look at verse number four. And they shall spring up as among the grass, like flowers bursting up in the grasses, as willows by the watercourses. That tree planted by the river of water that Psalm 1 describes as bringing forth this fruit in its season. Life here for, for believers. The quarrels of local Christians were healed in that revival in Wales. One of the outstanding features of the revival was the confession of sin, not among the unsaved alone, but among the saved. All were broken down and melted before the cross of Christ. It was a revival of prayer. Prayer mingled with large, largely with praise. And what wonderful praying. It was prayer that rent the heavens, praying that received direct answers there and then. The spirit of intercession was so mightily poured out that the whole congregation would take part simultaneously for hours. Strangers were startled to hear the young and unlettered pray with such unction and intelligence as they were swept up to the throne of grace by the Spirit of God. Worship and adoration was unbounded. Praise mingled with petitions as answered prayer was demonstrated before their very eyes when their unsaved loved ones came into the meetings and were saved. It was a revival of soul winning for believers. Instead of a few preachers and a few of their church members testifying to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus, it seemed now as if every Christian in Wales had a burning agony for lost men and women. It was the most natural thing for a true believer to testify of his glorious Redeemer in the coal mine, in the tram car, in the office, and in the school. Thousands were saved through the personal witness of ordinary common believers who spoke to them of the claims of Christ during ordinary conversation. See, this is not devoid of, an outpouring of the Spirit is not devoid of, of human responsibility, of us opening our mouth and being used by God. He uses us, but when he pours out his Spirit... The fruit, the fruit is far greater because God is working through us. Many at the time and since then have criticized the emotionalism displayed in the meetings. And if you read the accounts, uh, just absolutely almost unsettling some of the, the display of emotion, the excitement and the joy and the agony and James Stewart says this, yes, when thousands of people are convicted of their sins and gloriously saved by the grace of God, how can they contain their joy? When believers are elevated to a new heavenly position in Christ and at the same time see the answer to years of agonizing prayer and the salvation of their loved ones, surely there must be shouts of joy and songs of adoration. The mountains melted in God's presence, and the heavens were opened. The church in Wales had a new and glorious sight of their wonderful Lord. Life for believers, but life as well for lost sinners. Look at verse number five. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. The idea of this is that everywhere they turn, there's, there's people saying, oh, Yes, I am, I'm believing in Jehovah. I'm believing in the Lord. People coming to Christ. 
I don't have time to read the, all the accounts I have here of what God did in those days. An insurance agent told a reporter that at practically every house he called at after Christmas, he was met by the wife with a happy smile and these words, this is the happiest Christmas we have ever had. Their husbands had been converted and stopped their wastage of money in gambling and drunkenness. The Bible Society's records show that over three times the number of Bibles are now being sold since the revival broke out. The booksellers say it is, it is no trouble now to sell Bibles. The trouble is to get them. The gambling and alcohol business lost their trade. Theaters closed down from lack of patronage. Football during this time was forgotten. Players and fans, though nothing was mentioned from the pulpits about the evils of football. In this country, which the general repu- had the general reputation of being football mad, the train for taking the crowds to the international trial match was found to be almost empty. The people had a new life and new interests. Long-standing debts were paid, stolen goods returned, drinking taverns forsaken, oaths ceased to be heard, so it was said in the mines the horses could not understand the language of their drivers. Political meetings had to be postponed as members of the Houses of Parliament were found taking part in the revival meetings. Theatrical companies made sure they did not come to Wales as they knew they would go bankrupt. Magistrates were presented with white gloves in many places to signify that there were no The prisons were empty. Even in the universities, revival scenes were commonplace day after day for months. The mighty tidal wave swept through the land. Over 70,000 names of converts are reported just two months after the life streams broke out. And that was just the beginning of an outpouring of the Spirit that literally had dramatic effects around the world. I preach all this, this, this morning for this reason. What is your heart longing for today? What are you living for? Something that can, can be done by man's power and ability or something that can only be explained by God coming down. Friends, my single objective this morning has been to try to ignite a thirst in your heart for the outpouring of the Spirit. A thirst that drives you to your knees. Listen, young people, we need the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And He wants to do it. His promise has not changed. The opportunity is there. But it's, it's people like you and me that need to get thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? Have we had a small expectation of what God could do? I hope that in some way, some of this account has caused something to burn in your heart this morning. Say, oh God, God, would you do that again? in my day.